This audio drama contains strong, offensive language, including the use of the N-word, as well as violent imagery, gun violence, and references to multiple forms of trauma and abuse, including self-abuse, racism, and exploitation. This is English Touring Theatre's Fucked Up Bedtime Stories for Adults. Listen. Are you listening? Put on your headphones, sit down, and prepare yourself. We didn't call them fucked up for nothing. Then I heard a black man cry by Dippo Barua Eti. This wasn't the life Mr. and Mrs. Olenreoju conjured up in their dreams. When they thought of Stratford, they pictured the Olympic Park, not a cramped flat in a rat-ridden tower block. They vowed to relocate. But years passed within seconds, and they became acquainted with their home. They even had the same daily routine. He would wake up, brush his teeth, wake her up, run a bucket bath as she brushed, and then they would bath together in order to save water. It wasn't until they discovered that she was expecting their first child, a son, that this way of life began to weigh on their backs like a ton of bricks. Their new routine included hours spent mourning that he would be heir to nothing but penurious pockets. Through this darkness, there was an explosion of colour that lived in front of their building in the shape of a mango tree. Its beauty and brightness attracted the couple, but their no-nonsense landlord, Blanche, forbade touching the fruit. One morning, the Olenrewajus, desperate to rediscover the joy they first felt upon coming to London, decided to sneak a mango inside for breakfast. With each bite, they felt like royalty, the juice injecting hope into their veins. They headed to work, thinking they'd gotten away with it, only to find Blanche on their doorstep upon returning. She expressed disappointment at their thefts, tears streaming down her face. Well, Mrs. Olenrewaju apologised and spoke of wanting their unborn son to taste treasure, to get a glimpse of greatness. This statement satiated Blanche. She ceased weeping and offered to give their son all that he may not get in E15. Uh, a fridge forever full of food, top-tier education, and cultural trips around the world. The couple were unwavering, not wanting to leave their son in the care of another, until Blanche offered a gift that their forefathers had been deprived of. An inheritance. The couple thought about it, and seven days after the child's birth, on the day they named him Rotomy, Blanche returned for an answer. Turning to each other, the couple's hearts burst out of their chests. Over the next 17 years of Rotomy's life, he and Blanche lived in her countryside mansion. 
He saw her as a fairy godmother of sorts, and she fulfilled her promises one by one. The fridge was full of his favourite snacks, she paid for the best homeschooling tailored to meet his needs, and they visited at least one new country a year. Blanche was someone he could trust to always provide. On Rotomy's 18th birthday, they bought bottles of wine, uh, watched his favourite western films in their cinema, and danced the night away in euphoric ecstasy. Hours passed, and they found themselves on the sofa, exhausted. Blanche resting her head on Rotomy's shoulder. Midnight reared its head, and he thanked her for this special day. She looked up at him proudly and gave him a kiss. He kissed her back, and she climbed on top of him and slowly removed his clothes. They found their way to Blanche's bed and lost themselves in one another. Rotomy was in love and saw Blanche as the quintessence of perfection. He desired to do whatever it took to make her smile, and when her birthday came, asked what she wanted for the special day. You, she said, telling him how she wanted to share his rare beauty with the world and how fun it would be to spend quality time making art together. He agreed and asked Blanche to lead the way. She had him lie naked on her bed and took photos of him. It was difficult for them to focus, laughter filling the air, but they captured something beautiful. Blanche posted the images online once they were done, thinking to herself, shouldn't art be provocative? After the photos came the videos. Blanche and Rotomy thought about how to push the envelope and entertain, determined to gain some traction in a world where fireworks were constantly lighting up the web. A thought shower began, and they landed on two new ideas. One innocent fun, the other more amorous. In the day, they recorded themselves singing and rapping along to what would become Blanche's favourite word, and Rotomy would laugh at her impressions. When night came... Blanche would direct the movie in which Rotomy centrally touched his naked body. Shouldn't art be provocative? After the videos came the installation. A camera was set up in Rotomy's room, and for those who knew how to worm their ways into the hidden crevices of the internet, they would find Rotomy there, 19 hours a day. The camera captured everything, from his first morning breath, to Blanche serving dinner, to her African king. This gained the traction they longed for, and admiration swanned into Blanche's inbox, which she shared with Rotomy in their short moments together. Criticism came too, but Blanche wasn't fazed by it. All over her skin, goosebumps bloomed like flowers in March. Shouldn't art be provocative? After the installation came the exhibition. Blanche felt she wasn't being unique enough and coveted something that truly stood out. So she placed Rotomy in a glass box. He remained there for days at a time, food and water being delivered through a small window as Blanche's fans visited her garden for a glimpse of the real thing. 
This was when Rotomi's smile began to fade. He suddenly felt alien, isolated, defenseless. He hoped to ask Blanche if this was ordinary, sensing it may all be a salacious sham, but grasping the vocabulary was as elusive as grasping air, so he couldn't transform his feelings into words. The only dictionary he had was the one Blanche authored. What he could do was weep. So weep he did. And this discomforted Blanche's fans, leaving Blanche to take action into her own hands. She drugged Rotomy, purchased a needle and thread, and sewed shut his lips, his eyes, and his ears. One day, Temelade, a journalist fascinated and engrossed by Blanche's work, emailed Blanche to ask if she would be interested in being the subject of a profile piece. Blanche jumped at the opportunity to share her work with new audiences and welcomed Temelade into her home with open arms. She took Temelade on a private tour of the house, where artwork inspired by Rotomi's body hung all over. Oh, this is beautiful, Temelade said, a grin on her face as she took notes. But I'm ready for the main course. <laughs> this way, Blanche said, leading Temelade towards the garden. As they stepped out into the sun, Temelade's face lost all its colour. Her legs wobbled, threatening to leave her lying on the floor. She took a deep breath, reminded herself that there was a job to be done and emotions had no role in it. She lifted her chin up, steadied her legs, and braced herself for this sighting. That's when she saw Rotomi's statuesque figure slumped in the glass box, labelled the nigger. Blanche turned to Temelade, a smile so wide it outshone the biggest star. Here it is, she said. My masterpiece. Temelade stared at Rotomi's hand, now placed against the glass, as if acknowledging her presence with a wave. She mirrored his position, and despite the barrier, both were able to feel each other. He heard her heart beating at a hundred miles per hour, and she heard a cry, a loud wail echoing the sound he gave when she delivered the final push two decades ago. Ever since a semblance of success entered Temelade's life, she'd been rummaging for a reunion. To stumble across him online in this way was the last thing she expected, but this explosion of colour in Blanche's garden became her lodestar. No touching, it's forbidden, Blanche exclaimed, and Temelade pulled her hand away from the glass. She glued her shattered mask back together again, unaware of how long she'd been standing there or if Blanche had read into her horror. It didn't matter, though, because soon all of this would be over. Oh, sorry, Temelade said, discreetly reaching into her handbag. Blanche nonchalantly dismissed the faux pas and began speaking about her history with Rotomy when a gun was pointed at her temple. She turned to Temelade, eyes so large they could have been painted by Margaret Keane. Well, what are you doing? she asked. You said you'd give him an inheritance. Fear enveloped Blanche like a blowfly to a carcass. 
but before it could obliterate her, the bullet did. Blanche's body fell to the ground alongside Temelade's tears. Temelade grabbed the keys from Blanche's pockets and stepped into the glass cube. She aimed her gun at Rotomi's head as an ocean of tears streamed around her. This was the only option she felt, even if Mr. Olenrewaju would disagree. She didn't consider this, though. She believed that he had stopped getting a say in her decisions the moment he jumped from the mango tree and his feet failed to touch the ground. Rotomi would never get to be the Rotomi she gave birth to. They could reunite and go from place to place, but no one would ever believe this horror. No one would be able to treat it. They would give up. Rotomi would never have a convalescence. Or could he? She wondered if she had let pessimism propagate in her heart for too long, and indecisiveness began to creep in like a fox. Maybe there was hope, and the two of them could live together, build the bond they were robbed of. If nothing else, she had her only child back in her life. Wasn't this what she always wanted? Temelade took a deep breath, brushing ambivalence aside as sirens neared. Her mind was made. And then... She heard a black man cry. Story read by Papa Esiadu. Directed by Jennifer Baxt. Music, sound and editing by Max Pappenheim. An English Touring Theatre production.